All right. Hey, it's uh, it's another week. It's another week of what I like to call the Brent Broadcasting Channel, otherwise known as the BBC. A different one, a little different take, but still glad to be here. And it's a great way to kick off another week of good conversations because I'm getting ready to have one with a guy. Gosh, I can't even remember the last time I actually talked to Wilson Raj, but it's been that it's long. It's been but a while. <laughs> it's been a while, but it's great to have Wilson with me. Uh, Wilson is, uh, I want to make sure I get this right, the Global Director of Customer Intelligence uh, for SAS. So, Wilson, thanks, man, for making time today. Brent, it's always a pleasure to uh, chat with you and catch up and see what you're up to. Uh, and also, you know, I, I learned a lot from these discussions. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I, I know it's got to be a, maybe you're feeling a little bit like you get some rest of the weekend because I know last week it was all about SAS Global Forum. So it's, I'm glad to see that you revived yourself a little bit from that, right? <laughs> yes, it was definitely, I think, one of our most spectacularly attended event throughout the history of SAS. Uh, and we're talking about all the previous were uh, in-person events. And this one blew numbers out of the water. We had about 35,000 registrations, uh, about you know 6,000 digital interactions happening on the in the quad and, and other digital properties. And uh, it's fantastic. So talk a little bit about, uh, you know, usually SAS Global Forum is a physical event and this year of course it was virtual what were some of the biggest like surprises or things that kind of stood out to you uh, now that you had a couple of days to get past the event i think firstly it was definitely uh the just the 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 hunger for information uh and and interaction uh, that the, the topics were all obviously very salient, very topical, you know, given today's market disruptions, what's happening with the pandemic, what's happening economically. Uh, and I think that put a very different cast on uh, uh, the, the topics that we were sharing, the attendees and what they wanted to get out of it. Uh, it was not just about, hey, I wanna learn about technology. It was more about, I wanna be resilient. <laughs> I wanna be able mm. to last through 2020 and then set myself up for success into the future. So I think the just the level of um, engagement and hunger and intensity uh, reflected through all the topics, so both whether it's uh, demos and the quad, uh, the keynote speakers uh, was very palpable. Yeah, I, I definitely got a chance to check it out. And first of all, I it was just great seeing Dr. Goodnight. <laughs> we were talking about this last week during a CRM players. It was good to see him out there. I mean, he started this company back in 1976. So yeah, uh, see him out, you know, at the forefront, going virtual, doing it well. It was really cool to see. And I thought it was also uh, the messaging, being able to show how SAS, who I think most people look at, you know, know you guys from analytics, from a a marketing and data analytics perspective. But what I kind of learned uh, by being able to check out that opening keynote was how you guys pivoted and used your expertise in your platform to look at how you can help with the COVID response and helping some of your customers. I, I know Cleveland Clinic was one of the ones that was uh, highlighted, but maybe you could talk a little bit about how you guys were able to take your platform and, and work with your customers to help them respond to what's currently going on. One of the 
the things that we haven't seen in terms of public health since uh, like 1918. Oh, absolutely. I think the, the full, what has happened with this pandemic is to force uh, organizations of all sizes, whether you're a midsize or a Fortune 5, to actually really go digital first. Uh, that That's the mentality. That is the, uh, the digital transformation that was happening. And I think for SaaS, uh, going digital first means being data first. That's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. It's not so much of the uh, digitization of channels. It is using the data that's coming from digital, that's coming from within uh, the organization. And, and SaaS, you know, and Dr. Goodnight, uh, you know, from a Simon Sinek perspective, is playing the infinite game, right? I mean, it, we have seen this uh, since the inception of the company and now and into the future that being digital first means being data first, which means we have to have analytics as a core to unlock all that. So in terms of responding to the pandemic, I mean, every uh, key aspect in terms of uh, you know dealing with recovery, whether it is optimizing hospital beds, whether it's doing contact tracing, there's a great demonstration that Dr. Goodnight and Steve Bennett did around mm -hmm. contact tracing and how you can actually look at that network effect. It's all data first, uh, and then it, and it's uh, and it's fast, it is automated, is aggregated, and is actionable, uh, and and we are seeing that in use cases. Uh, not just in the uh, pharma or the healthcare space, but in optimizing supply chains, looking at inventory su uh, supply. How do you optimize that? Looking at pricing, uh, how do you optimize that and predict, you know, in lieu of what's happening now, how the, the organization can take advantage and, op and, 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 and start to thrive. So in all these areas of recovery, whether it's supply chain, merchandising, pricing, financial stability, uh, healthcare, uh, we were able to bring that whole notion of data first, uh, empowered by analytics, very, very quickly. And 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 what was really cool was that those these solutions were brought in within sometimes within weeks, sometimes uh, within days, uh, to the marketplace. Uh, and that was really a, a huge testament to the the agility of the platform, uh, the automation that's built into it. And I think the third thing I would say is the very rich. Uh, uh, knowledge set that that we had from a vertical perspective in in manufacturing, in retail, in utilities, and in healthcare uh, that really galvanized and we were able to 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 help our customers that way. You say part of being digital first means data first, and when you look at what's been happening in the with the pandemic, and we've talked about digital transformation for a number of years. But has the talk of digital transformation changed in some ways because of COVID-19? And if so, how, how do you see COVID-19 changing kind of the definition and the approach to digital transformation? I think the uh, COVID-19 clarified the definition of digital transformation. It really did because it showed how using data at the core, uh, the companies that were affected were able to to start to recover and reimagine three areas of the business. One is obviously the way they were relating with customers, going digital first, uh, you know, uh, having uh, digital channels to be able to uh, identify needs and, and, and service the customers. The second area of that, that transformation was in operational management, 
You know, we talked about processes being digitized, being accelerated, uh, efficiencies being squeezed out within minutes. And the last one uh, is around innovation. That's another aspect of digital transformation using data. And for me, innovation is just coming up with a new way of doing the first two things, right? It's a new way of connecting with your prospect and a new business model, right? A new product. Uh, and so that to me, those three areas around customer experience, around process improvements, around new business models, all were expressed. And you could see this, uh, Brent, in the last three, three months across all sectors. It doesn't matter. We, we saw elements of all those things. So I think now the, the, the question becomes, uh, do customers, or, sorry, do brands sort of now go back to normal or are they going to sustain the advances that they have gained during this period? Yeah, it's almost like you know, once you go digital and once you go data first, you shouldn't go back. Don't even think about going back. Absolutely you keep not. Going forward. Absolutely. Uh, so part of what I what I think about what you just said about digital transformation and being a data first company and being able to not just have data and aggregate data, but you know analyze data and then uh, act on the data. So one of the things that came out last week was the announcement of the partnership with Microsoft. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that and maybe how it applies to some of the things we just talk, talked about. Uh, absolutely. I, I think in, in, in response to what's happening today, there are two key elements that really came together during uh, as, as part of this announcement. One has uh, on the Microsoft side, uh, you know, I spent several years there in the past, uh, you know, uh, and then in the agency world before uh, coming here to SaaS. Uh, but it is this notion around accessible, powerful, collaborative technologies, right? And, and Microsoft is known for that. And of course, they, they have a whole plethora of, of, of offerings and, and key capabilities, but that's at the core. It's about empowering people and teams and organizations so that they're more productive. Uh, on the SaaS side, you know, we are about empowerment as well, right? We are about empowering individuals and organizations to make the best decision possible given all the circumstances. So when you bring this notion of collaboration and then the decisioning, right? Analytical driven decision-making to transform the you know, lives and so on, and you bring them together, that's really at the core of this announcement. So moving our analytic workloads, you know, all that SaaS has to offer into Microsoft Azure is a critical thing. Uh, and of course, down the line, we will you know, continue to expand that through you know, various phases and so on. One of the things also, it, moving SaaS onto the Azure cloud is one thing, but uh, during the demo, it was really interesting to see how integrated the interfaces were. Uh, we, we saw uh, like, it's kind of hard to see the difference between what was going on with SaaS via and then what was going on uh, on the Microsoft side with the, their power apps and their power BI. So the integrate, it's it's not just SaaS moving on top of the Azure cloud. It's really integrating all the things that you guys do that you bring to the table and bringing it together. That was the magic of that of that demonstration. It wasn't sort of switching UIs, going from a, <laughs> a, a Microsoft uh, UX to uh, the SaaS interface. And so, uh, you know, it was seamless. You could not tell where one action began and where the other one ended. Uh, and that is again, uh, you know, from a, a SaaS perspective, in playing the infinite game, 
right? It's not just being cloud ready and cloud friendly, but also to be open. Uh, so in other words, be able to integrate through various uh, programming languages, various environments so that our workloads, our models, our processes are very, you know, synchronous into the, uh, you know, the domain of, the, of, of other technologies as well. And that was really ex exhibited very well in, in some of the demos that we saw. Yeah, I thought that was really cool to see. And there's more to come. <laughs> that's even better to see. All right, that's cool. So I actually had an opportunity to speak to Dennis Massengill the Friday before uh, SAS Global Forum. And one of the things that he was talking about is, you know, the, the things, you know, the content that was created for the conference, the, the sessions and all that it lives on because it's, you know, the, the conference itself, you know, it was a couple of hours or a couple of days, but the content was, was created to live beyond the conference or the virtual event. So maybe you could talk about some of the things that people should really kind of look at and dig into now, now that the conference is over, but the content is still available for them. Absolutely. Firstly, you can find it on our, uh, on our digital property. Uh, in SAS.com and you know, SAS Global Forum, where all the uh, the sessions, the demos, uh, the demos, the customer connects were all are all housed. And essentially, what we have is really just the depth and the breadth of content. So we have executive sessions uh, featuring, you know, not just Simon Sinek but other executives as well, talking about the the business implications, the strategies they use to be able to to not just recover, but then to reimagine their business and then to move it forward into a, a, a more powerful way. Uh, there's a whole host of vertical sessions, sessions as well. So uh, that, that are catering to you know, all the different uh, business uh, industries for financial, for retail, for pharma, utilities, and so on. So you can get very industry specific content where experts, on, uh, customer experts, as well as SaaS experts are, are uh, focusing on specific use cases to be able to demonstrate that, to show how technology is working and how they can solve very immediate problems while laying foundations for the future. Uh, then there's also the interactive uh, demos and the quads where you can actually go in there and, and, and look at uh, 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 power uh, demos of, of various uh, vertical and uh, technology solutions in action. And all this stuff, as you say, uh, uh, Brent will live on. Uh, so it's not just confined to this moment in time where we're talking about COVID-19, but I think you can replace COVID-19 with any disruption that comes out uh, probably at the end of the year or even into <laughs> next year. So insert your favorite disruption there. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. And <laughs> and uh, all the content will still be relevant and I think it will still be very helpful uh, for, the, for our audience. So we talked a lot about data and digital first and data first and just so much data being generated by every as more people go digital that means that leaves digital footprints that leaves more data that can be aggregated analyzed acted upon uh but there's also that also means a lot more of uh security and privacy um yes. that companies really have to be aware of and, and one of the things that uh I wanted to ask you about is this whole idea of uh, you know the death of the third party and uh, of cookie third party cookies and particularly when it comes to small businesses you know I kind of have a, a sweet spot for the SMB space and and 
you know, they have a lot that they're dealing with, generally speaking. But what are you, what is this going to do? How should they be approaching what's going on with uh, with cookies, third party cookies? Yeah, Brent, I, I think uh, this balance, we've, we've chatted about this several times, I think, in the past when I came on your radio show around this balance between uh, personalization and privacy, right? Where's the line? What's creepy? What's relevant? Uh, and and uh, there's, you know, we can, and, and I think today with everything going digital first, uh, where the physical aspect is completely uh, non-existent, at least for now, in the near term, you know, there might be some elements of that coming out maybe, I don't know, in the, in the near or mid future, but for the most part is it is, is screen interaction, right? Uh, or, through mobile, or, or through apps. And what we're finding is that the third party cookie has always been sort of a, a panacea, unfortunately seen rightly or wrongly by companies, certainly the mid-sized uh, enterprises as well as to be used for better targeting. Uh, now. Unfortunately, I mean, the, you know, the research has shown uh, third-party cookie tracking and, and the way you do metrics and the way you do attribution uh, has been kind of sketchy at best, right? Because of when you look at the ad tech environment in terms of how third-party cookies are, are measured and how you, you know, uh, digital properties are, are synced to that, uh, there's a lot of a, uh, uncertainty, a lot of grayness in terms of how do you really map that? You know, are, are you really doing that one-to-one? -one? And so with Google just recently announcing the demise uh, or lack of support for third-party cookies, uh, the first knee-jerk reaction is like, yeah, how am I going to track people on my website? That's the first thing people are screaming. <laughs> well, there goes my digital uh, identification tracking mechanism. Uh, but when people calm down, uh, you can see that, you know what? There is a world beyond third-party cookies. And I would call that first-party consent, not first-party data. Now, first-party data is, 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 in fact, there will be a greater reliance on first-party data. That's the data that your, you know, the grocery store or the, the mid-market the, the mid -market brand would use uh, as the customers or prospects interact with them digitally, correct? Absolutely. And you're tracking that stuff. Now, that's behavioral. But then when you talk about first-party, about uh, first-party consent, that's the data that is provided by the consumer as a tacit invitation to say, hey, I want to know more, right? It could be as direct as texting the brand and say, hey, give me information. That's very direct. Or it could be through other kinds of behavioral, uh, you know, uh, footprints or sentiment that the brand can capture to say, this person is giving me tacit approval to engage with you, to do something, to provide information. So if you're a bank, maybe how do you change, uh, you know, your account number or how do you, how do you uh, add more services? It could be for a transaction. And I want to pay a bill. I want to split this, uh, you know, this investment portfolio into five pieces, whatever that is. Or it could be uh, something from a support perspective. I need to talk with someone. Uh, to help me make some smart decisions about my investments. And you can use that same informational, transactional, and support moments of truth in, in any industry. Uh, and in that, in those interactions, you have those that what I call first party consent. So I think uh, to do that, again, you're collecting that data. Uh, and then 
how do you use that? That that becomes a question, you know, and that's where things such as predictive analytics, things such as lookalike modeling, things such as churn analysis or sentiment using AI can help you get that consent. And then you're able to hopefully use that uh, in the in the right way. I, I like that. I, I really like that because if you're going to become a digital first company and which also requires you to become a data first company, I think you should be a consent first company or at least yes. have that philosophy and culture ingrained on you because, and I'm going to pop up, maybe there's a little bit of a, a, a little sneak peek here uh, because you guys are also just coming out with a new uh, ebook and it's all around uh, kind of a lot of areas that, that talk about customer experience and what are things going to look at, look like 10 years out. Uh, but one thing, if you're starting to do all these things and I want to make sure I've got this completely, uh, here we go, get it up to that level. So everybody can see it. There we go. Uh, I, I want everybody to look at what's going on because if you're going to do all this stuff, it's it's all about trust. And if you don't have the trust, I don't care. All, if you become a digitally transformed and you are a digital first, if nobody trusts you, no customers trust you, who cares? Absolutely. Who cares, right? <laughs> uh, that trust is not, uh, and, and we have talked about this, and I'm glad we're bringing this up because even more so today, trust is not an ethereal concept here. Trust is not this warm, fuzzy, cozy feeling between a brand and a consumer. It is hard tax. So it would be things such as, boy, from a data governance perspective, how are these folks, right, on, on the green, right, or even on the red uh, column, how are they managing data? How are they protecting it? How are they cleansing it? Do they have very clear-cut definitions in terms of retention dates, how they are used, when they are used, where they're not to be used. All those uh, so-called uh, legal, you know, data governance boring things are absolutely critical. On the other hand, from a from a experiential perspective, how is the the organization communicating the value of data collected? Not just in terms of being very succinct in terms of what they what consumers are going to get, what they're going to experience but also have uh, provide protocols where you and I can vet, we can audit our own data preferences, right? Through a contact or a, through a data preference center to say, you know what, uh, I'm not gonna say, share this anymore. I'm not gonna share this piece of data anymore. I'm gonna time out on this one. That is now giving the power back. And so by a combination of, of what we call, uh, what I call internal governance initiatives through data management and and, and security and and uh, and so on, and then through uh, an external way of providing that flexibility and choice to customers, uh, you can make trust a little bit more tangible, uh, I think. And so what you see here is in this the, the, the from a consumer spec perspective. By the way, this was from a research that was done late last year uh, in terms of what the future of customer experience looks like between an organization uh, and uh, uh, and the consumer. And uh, one of the themes that came out, as you show out here, is the balance between data, uh, between privacy and personalization. So you can see the ones where there is more, they're more trustworthy, healthcare providers, food providers, and, and so on. And on the other side of the spectrum, those which are less trusted, because there's a notion that these folks on the right are not necessarily 
communicating what they're doing with the data, number one. And number two, they're just using it for other uh, financial purposes, right? Uh, selling it to third parties or, or other entities without your knowledge. Yeah, and I, I think uh, you know as we talk through what happened at the global forum and some of the some of the main takeaways, at least mine, and 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 thanks for explaining and, and kind of filling in some of the the color with those. I think that going forward, you know, if you did attend and you were able to check out the content, and, and if you still want to, it's glad it's good that it's there. But it's also good to keep in mind some of the things that you just talked about in terms of. Consent first. If you can build that into your 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 culture, your corporate culture, your DNA, then you have a solid foundation to move forward and and put all these other pieces into play. But if you don't do that, you you might as well not do anything at this point. It's that right. important to me. I think you're right. And 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 Brent, I mean, you know, I think the way we we can say is right. A great customer experience is not just the one P, personalized. It's not just that is the second letter P, is privacy aware. Hmm. We have to be privacy, we have to go first. We don't have to expect the, uh, we, don't, we don't want the customer to make those choices, right? We want to lead with privacy first. And I think uh, uh, as we go through this, uh, this disruption and into you know, future state, whatever that looks like, uh, privacy can be used, can now become the new customer experience differentiator. It is no longer the back room you know, topic where the lawyers and the, the the governance folks talk about, right? It is front and center of the chief marketing officer, of the chief executive officer. It has to be that vital and visible. And it has to be, a, you know, something that uh, is a message that I think comes right from the top. If you have, you know, your executive team believes in this and it believes in protecting uh, customer data, and making the customer feel comfortable and feel like you're not just, uh, you know, they're not just a transaction to you. No, <laughs> they're, they're somebody that you you want to build a long lasting, uh, a mutually valued relationship. I think you, you have to bake that in. Uh, yeah. To it. And, and at SAS, uh, we use the term uh, inside. It's, we call it digital guardianship. Right. So we're not calling it digital privacy. Right. Because it's 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 uh, anachronistic. It's, mm -hmm. it's we are guardians of our our customers, our B two B customers. Uh, you know, privacy as an organization, as also as uh, individuals who are dealing with us. So that notion, like said, like it spreads from not just the governance that we have, but how we contact them, how we relate with folks, both in a, in a digital first world, and how we serve them in the way that they want to be served. Hey, well, so this has been a really great conversation. I'm glad we were able to, to to do this. But once again, where can people go? Because there's still all that content out there. Uh, where can people go once again to check out all the things that took place last week? Uh, they can go to www.sas.com slash, uh, I think you had it in your post, uh, uh, SAS Global Forum. And then you will see, uh, there you go, right there. Or you can just use a hashtag SASGF. Uh, you can do a search on that either on LinkedIn or on Twitter, and you'll get certainly to our uh, our resource page where you have literally over 200 sessions and content recorded and, and, and a whole host of uh, other content as well. So I got to ask, what, what's uh, the next year 
going to look like once we get past, you know, hopefully we'll get past sooner rather than later with the, the pandemic stage here. But what do you expect to see on the other side of the pandemic when it comes to, you know, digital transformation? Are you, are you, do you feel like companies are going to be able to, to successfully make the shift to being a not only a digital first or a data first, but also, uh, I like your term, uh, uh, you know, being able to say consent first? I think uh, I, I'm an optimist, uh, maybe not to the level that Simon Sinek is, is uh, <laughs> you know, he's an optimist at a different scale, but I'm optimistic that because again, uh, we have not seen that kind of transformation in our customers from a SaaS perspective. I'm, I'm seeing it every day. I'm seeing it in my neighborhood grocery store, uh, the brands that I deal with on a daily basis for my personal, uh, you know, my personal life. So I think, uh, you know, and I'm amazed at how quickly uh, these changes have come to the fore. Uh, so what I see in the future is, is uh, definitely a little more of that. I also see more em empathy and emotion in the communications, in the marketing uh, that is a little bit more, you know, more, more overtly caring, more about the person, uh, more about their needs uh, and less about selling. Uh, I think that's going to go take a, 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 a back burner. Uh, and then the, the last thing I will see is uh, that, you know, hopefully that increased uh, focus and respect for consent, uh, especially in today, uh, you and I are doing things digitally, day in and day out. We are, we're ordering groceries. We are viewing movies and, 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 and programming. Uh, we're doing education online. I mean, God, there's a lot that's been collected on, 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 on us and on our families. Uh, and I think we'll see a, a greater focus on that. Uh, not in an overt governance, you know, governance way, but I think uh, in a way that's built into the experience, uh, giving us the choices. Uh, and I, so I, I, I do see a brave, a better new world as we get through. Uh, and uh, it's just uh, has been a great time talking with you, Brent. I, I always enjoy these these uh, chats. Absolutely, and I just appreciate the the optimism too, because sometimes. It could get lost in uh, all the other things that seem to be coming at us day to day. But I, I think I'm with you. I, I do think that uh, once we're able to kind of get past this and people kind of figure out, you know, the, you know, the, the digital transformation means more than just digital transition, you know, being mm -hmm. able to uh, digitize some some or automate some processes you know, so you can be more efficient. I mean, that's part of it, of course, but the broader opportunity is not just to, you know, be efficient, but to, to be innovative and reimagine things and, and be able to take full advantage of kind of what uh, this technology has to offer. As long as you have that, I'm going to use your term over and over again, as long as you have a culture that is consent first and not uh, ask for permission later, because I think yeah. that's what it's been <laughs> in corporate America for the last, I don't know how long. Yeah, th those companies, uh, as you can see, uh, they've either gone out of business in the last couple of months. Those companies who think that digital transformation is just digitization of process and channels, they're not making it. Uh, it's, it's those uh, companies that have taken those uh, precepts that we have shared uh, a little bit more to heart and, and operationalizing it, but more than that, believing in it. Uh, they're the ones that we are seeing uh, recovering and hopefully uh, being more resilient into the future. All right, Wilson. Hey, it's been great. Thanks for the time. And we will definitely be talking much more sooner rather than later. I would like that.
You take care, my friend.